Hey everyone, it's Steve Fogg here. Welcome to my podcast. Uh, I am delighted today to have one of the most experienced communicators in the Christian sphere and beyond uh, that sphere. Uh, Phil Cook uh, is an internationally known writer and speaker. He's produced uh, media programming in nearly 50 countries around the world and in the process been shot at, survived two military coups, fallen out of a helicopter in Africa, been threatened with prison and during that time through his company Cook Pictures in California he's helped some of the largest non-profit organizations and leaders in the world uh, use their media to tell their story in a changing and disrupted culture. Uh, As well as uh, all of that, Phil is also an author and um, Phil and I were just talking before the program that uh, his book um, uh, Branding Faith was very formative in my early development on staff at uh, Crossway Church where I serve currently. Uh, He also has been uh, writing other books, Jolt, Get a Jump on a World That's Constantly Changing and One Big Thing which is a brilliant book if you are trying to work out what you were born to do, uh, it's a brilliant book. And I actually preached out of that book, um, believe it or not, Phil. Um, and it's great. It really helps you find your great purpose and calling for your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I didn't quote it, chapter one, Phil versus Cook two or anything like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I still use something called the Bible. Um, but it was just a wonderful uh, way of clarifying really one thing. We all have one great purpose and calling for our lives. And it was a really good, sharp insight uh, for our church. And uh, his new book is Unique, Telling Your Story in the Age of Brands and Social Media, which is just a, a ripper of a read. And I'll leave a link to uh, that book in the show notes today. So welcome, Phil, after that that's probably the longest intro I've done so far on the podcast, but it's well <laughs> worth it. <laughs> Tell me, you've been shot at. Yeah. Well, you know what? Early on, we decided that we wanted to work with ministries, church ministries, nonprofit organizations, people doing amazing things in remarkably dangerous places. And so... We, we, we were, were redoing our website and our company this morning, and we were just looking back on some of the clients and projects that we've done. And we've been, we, we filmed violent gang, drug gangs in South America. We've been involved with sex trafficking in Eastern Europe. We've been involved with work in, uh, during, you know, in relief work in Africa, and we were involved in two military coups. So, you know, there's ministries out there doing amazing things in very, very difficult places, and to tell their story... We just have to go. So it certainly makes for good good stories for my grandkids, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I mean, it's just a great, great introduction. Um, Christine Kane says about you, without a doubt, you're a genius. If you want your story to be heard amongst the thousands of conflicting and competing messages out there, uh, the book Unique is for you. Full of great practical advice, humor, and common sense, you'll find yourself referring to this book often and I do and that and Branding Faith its predecessor and um, it's just a wonderful um, insight for many people who are kind of figuring out what faith means in such a uh, media and social media charged world and um, you know Phil 
Uh, I'm going to get straight into it. And, Please, um, let's do. And, uh, but before I do, I, I also noticed that you've been featured on Today, Fast Company, Wired, CNN, NSBNC, Fox News, yeah. HuffPost, Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, do you actually want to get noticed in this noisy world? Because you're, every, <laughs> you're everywhere. Well, well, you know what? It's really the, the noisy world line is really, really true. Uh, in, in my book, Unique, and I think earlier in Branding Faith, I talked about the fact that researchers indicated that we're, we've been, you know, the typical person is being bombarded with about 5,000 media messages every day. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is it's changed the way we think. Um, new research just in the last few months has come out that indicates that when you meet someone for the first time, I mean, in this distracted world we live in, we have to suddenly make decisions right away. So in this distracted world we live in, when you meet somebody for the first time, you decide within four to eight seconds what you think of that person, which means, and it's also true, by the way, of experiences, which means I I was at a pastor's conference speaking recently, and I said, um, it really, you know, it's not just your sermon you should be thinking about or the worship experience you should be thinking about. What's the lobby look like? Because if people make a decision within four to eight seconds, Mm -hmm. they've pretty much decided their perception about your church the minute they walk in the door. So that changes the way we view how we communicate and what we should be thinking about when we try to tell our story out there. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, My senior pastor, Dale, says that, you know, the building speaks and um, you know, does, and, yeah. it, and it, you've got to find out what your tone of voice is, because you can, you know, a cathedral, beautiful cathedral, can still be completely relevant, yes. um, but um, a smelly toilet has a completely different voice. <laughs> well, I tell people a lot that um, you know, no, no matter how fantastic your worship, no matter how anointed the message or wonderful the community is at your church. If a new visitor walks up and meets a grumpy usher, that's their perception. That's the brand they have in their mind about what your church is about. So we have to think about how the brand or how the story and the perception of who we are, how that trickles down to everybody because it really does matter. Yeah, that's that's so good. Um, I wanted to kind of helicopter up a little bit. Um, As we're we're, uh, talking today, there's a a lot of um, issues going out on out there in the broader media and I think the um, Christian leader looks at the media and goes how can I make a difference and how can I possibly uh, use my voice out there and I think often it feels like we've lost our voice Um, how do you think we've lost our voice well I think we've I don't know we've kind of given up that outpost uh, in many ways if you look at the voices that are the, that are dominant in our culture today, uh, in many ways, it's environmentalists. In many ways, it's the gender you know crowd. It's yep. the transgender organization or the lesbian gay community. Um, those kind of organizations. In other places, it's the political crowd. In other places, it's it just depends. There's a lot of voices out there. The dominant ones are people that are really focused on having a strategy for getting their voice heard. It's not people that are random. And the sad thing is, when it comes to the Christian community, we've pretty much just let it be random. We've not really looked at an overarching strategy for how to get our voice in the culture. When you know, when we come up to the table of you know the public square, we don't think very strategically about how to get involved in that conversation. And so um, others simply, simply go right past us uh, when it comes to that. So I think it's not a matter of we've really lost the voice. I, I think we've given it up. We've just walked away from the table. And 
the truth is we've seen how that's marginalized us in the culture. And uh, I think, I mean, let's, let's face it. In the old days, when a national decision was made, when a political leader or a cultural leader did something, they always invited a Christian to the table. If you, you know, for your older view, older listeners will remember that Billy Graham always became part of major decisions in America, and religious leaders were invited to the table to discuss these things in previous generations. Now, nobody thinks about religious leaders anymore. Nobody invites them to meetings. Nobody wants their opinion. And so we've abdicated that role in the culture, and I think we're seeing the culture shift in an entirely different direction, and it's not a really good direction. So I think we just have to be much more intentional and strategic about getting our voice heard today. Yeah, look, so right, once we had a seat at that table, yeah. uh, now we've got to earn to have a seat at that table. Uh, and But even when we get to that table, our voice in it is very much in a minority viewpoint on a lot of issues and the issues that come across, or the reasons why we, we've chosen to come at that table is is often a um, sensational counterpoint to, um, yeah. to, to the majority and, view. And I think in countries like Australia and Great Britain and the U.S., uh, th- even though they weren't, they're not Christian countries, for many, many years there was a Christian ethos. They were, you know, Christian-y in, in the way they did things. Mm. And so, you know, for instance, in the U.S., when I grew up, it was perfectly normal to assume that we would have prayer in schools. I mean, what was wrong with that? Um, It was perfectly normal to assume that abortion was wrong. It was perfectly normal to assume marriage meant a man and a woman. Well, guess what? Uh, You know, we lived in this world. We grew up in a world where we just took that for granted. Mm. And uh, as a result, we kind of relaxed and didn't worry about it. Now that's changed, and suddenly we found ourselves out of that conversation. And um, we have to be much more intentional about working our way back to the table. Yeah. You know, you, you said a phrase earlier, we really do have to earn the right to be heard. Yeah. You know, we just always assumed and took it for granted that people would listen to what we had to say. Not so anymore. So we have to be much more intentional and earn that right to be heard once again. Yeah, that's really good. I, I love this quote from your book. You, you said, reaching the next generation isn't about political power. It's about branding power. It's not about what we're against. It's about what we're for. It's not about changing the culture from the outside. It's about changing from culture from the inside. And for me, it's, it struck me as I look around the, the landscape today, often Christianity and Christian leaders and mainstream Christian leaders, often it's what we're against that we're known for and 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 there are so many good things that we're actually for and we stand for and good things that we christian leaders and and churches do how how do we how do we flip that on its head well i've often you know we've tried i just i just finished the manuscript for a new book that will come out sometime next winter and um it's really focused on that question how we should be engaging the culture today Mm. and one of the things i point out is you know, being known as what we're against um, has just completely not helped at all. I mean, we've boycotted organizations, we've boycotted companies that don't say Merry Christmas, or we boycotted the gay community, or we boycotted Hollywood, we've launched petition drives, and it's not moved the dial one iota. And maybe it's time we started thinking about a different tack. We have a, fr- a phrase here in Hollywood that Hollywood is great at making fake things look real, but Christians are great at making real things look fake. Mm. 
And it's so sad. It's so sad that there's that perception out there. So there's no question that I think we have to change the direction of the way we're engaging culture. Because, and I make, I've, I've written many times that if boycotts worked, why don't missionaries do it? You know, why don't missionaries surra- surround a tribe in a third world country and hold up signs and criticize them and call them names mm. until they accept Christ? You know, boy, that'll really work. Um, we know that never works. And yeah. so if it doesn't work in, in a country somewhere else, why do we think it'll work in Hollywood or with the gay community or with some business? Um, we've just got to stop that strategy because it's not been helpful at all. Yeah. Yeah. So if, I, if I'm the average church leader and I'm leading a church and here's my community and we want to be a voice of hope um, at, in our community, you know, or we might be a regional church, wherever we are in the Western world, um, where would be one place that um, we could start? Where, where would you tell them to start that kind of for what we're for and getting out there into the culture? I think that uh, in, in my book, one of the things I taught my new book, one of the things I talk about a lot is, um, you know, they rea- they reacted to Jesus. Crowd, if you study crowds, the way the crowds reacted to Jesus in the New Testament, they often were as- literally astonished. I mean, that's the word um, the Bible uses. They were astonished at his teachings. He just astonished them. And one of the things I ask in my book is. What are the things we could do today that would so astonish the culture around us that they would be forced to rethink who we are? You know, our preaching doesn't seem to reach to them. Uh, Our getting mad at them doesn't seem to reach. Our boycotting them doesn't seem to reach. Maybe if in our communities, and it would be different for every church because I think every church and every community is in a unique situation and has a unique community around them. What are the things you could do in your community that would so astonish the people around you that they would be forced to rethink who this church is, what it represents, and who the God is that they serve? Um, I actually think it's in reaching out to people. That's the way the early church did it. You know, they had no money, no power, no influence. Um, They had nothing that we think of today that can change people's minds. They had to actually just live out the gospel, and they did it in such a way that it so astonished the Romans that they were forced to reconsider who they were. So I think every church has many, many areas that they could start by just doing things that get people's attention in a positive way. There's so many things, so many ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I so agree. I, I think that astonished we've lost that wow factor, and I don't mean in a sensationalist sort of wow, but you know, yeah. really, you guys do that for nothing. <laughs> yeah. And then the so tell me why you do that, and you yes. know, and, and that's really the the you know the the question that I, I don't hear much about uh, because I, I see there's so much focus on a on a Sunday experience or so much focus on what happens within the four walls of a, a physical service on a on a Sunday, whereas yeah. actually there probably are some really good stories that churches could probably tell. Uh, out there in the broader media landscape or culture? On a a big scale, one of the things I talk about in the book is what we call the foster care system um, Mm -hmm. here in the U.S. And um, rarely a month goes by in Los Angeles, where I live, where the Los Angeles Times newspaper doesn't have a horrible headline about kids being you know, raped or kids being abandoned or kids being brutalized in the foster care system here in America. It's just tragic, particularly here in California. And the truth is, 
if every church in America, in fact, it wouldn't take every church in America, if a significant number of churches in America would have somebody in their congregation adopt one of these kids, we could literally eliminate the foster care system overnight. I mean, I'm just thinking in America or Australia or Great Britain, what if that system disappeared overnight because of churches? I mean, how would the culture react to that? Yeah. They would be forced to think, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I need to rethink who these guys are. That's remarkable. Yeah. And so I think there, there are individual things we can do, and then there's collective things we could do that would make an even bigger statement to the culture. And, you know, the, the thing, Steve, I think is that as a communicator, you know, you're a professional communicator. You know people don't change their opinions when you get mad at them. Mm. You know, people don't change your, their opinions when you yell at them about it. They change their opinions when you do something that makes them think, whoa, that was remarkable. Let, let's talk about that. And that starts a conversation that could eventually lead to them changing the way they think. So I think we've just spent so much time in the last 20 or 30 years getting mad at people that don't believe the way we do. And we've forgotten that getting mad at people doesn't really help to change the way they think. Um and so I think just changing our approach would be would be huge. Um, yeah. I just think it would be just incredible. Yeah. Look, in, in the last chapter of your book, Unique, um, you talk about William Wilberforce. And, um, uh, and that's, for me, is one of those astonishing moments in history yeah. where the whole of culture and the whole of British culture was fixed in a, in a uh, industry almost of slavery and his um, one man that stood up and um, you share about uh, an image that had been crafted. Uh, was it on a plate or something? Yeah, they created a medallion. It was originally a medallion and uh, they turned it into plates. They turned it into brooches for women to wear. They turned it into necklaces. They turned it into things you could hang on the wall. And... Um, it was a, a remarkable medallion that showed a kneeling African man, and um, it, it, it just took off. Um, and it had such a huge impact in that culture because it was a wedding. It was really marrying a visual image to a concept. You know, in many ways today we talk about logos having that same kind of power um, or certain kind of visuals having that same kind of power. Yeah. And I think when you can wed a visual image to a concept like that, that's where you see like Charity Water here in the U.S. And, and other countries. These organizations that do really remarkable things um, using visuals, websites, short films, things like that. So he jumped on that train, you know, very early on. The motto on the, the medallion that he created was, it was a question, am I not a man and a brother? Mm -hmm. And uh, it really forced people to think that that was a, a African slave kneeling with a caption, am I not a man and a brother? And trust, you know, it was interesting. Women wore it as jewelry. It just took off like a rocket. It was, in many ways, maybe the first recorded time something like that happened. Mm. Something that was physically branded like that took off. And it had a huge impact on that culture. And so um, I think it's a good, you know, there's so many ways Wilberforce presents the case for how we should deal with issues like that. He was absolutely brilliant. We had the privilege of producing a one-hour television special that aired on public broadcasting here in the U.S. a number of years ago on his life and the impact he had on abolishing the slave trade throughout the British Empire. And um, so he just really caught a vision early about the power of what a brand could do. He didn't, I'm sure he didn't even realize what he was doing, but um, it had a huge impact on the culture at that time. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's almost like... Um the, the visual there was supporting and amplifying the message 
that uh, the, the change that he wanted to make. And if you think about, you know, that that in history, if you think about, you know, the the early church had, you know, the fish. Uh, yes. And then you know it then became the cross, and then um, and, and what that stood for, and you know, uh, or what it got reduced to later on in culture. Well, uh, you know, those logos have more meaning than we think. You know, it's interesting that historians tell us that the early church never used the cross as a symbol of our faith until after the last person who had actually witnessed a Roman execution had died. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that you would use an execution, a Roman execution tool is a symbol of who we are. That, that was just an anathema to them. People just thought that was disgusting. And uh, now we've kind of turned it, turned it on its head. So, you know, it's the empty cross. It represents the resurrection and the eternal life. However, it's interesting to note that, you know, had Jesus been alive today, it would have been much like wearing electric chair jewelry. You know, yeah. I, I just love that electric chair re- that necklace you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Or I love that... that uh, that electric chair bracelet you're wearing. People use the cross as jewelry today, yeah. and we forget how powerful a symbol it was for the early church. They refused to use that until after the last person had understood it as a brutal execution tool. So symbols do have meaning, and particularly at certain times and places. Um, you know, Nike today is a master at using symbols in the way they advertise their shoes. Yeah. Um, their story is so powerful that uh, numerous High school kids, 20-year-old kids have been killed over Nikes here in the U.S. Um, mm. Nobody ever dies over Adidas. Nobody, nobody ever dies over Puma or yep. Converse. But kids are willing to die over Nikes because that, that story, that brand is so powerful. So, yeah, there's no question that if you tell a story well and can use visuals to help do that, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. As I look at um, <clears throat> around the world, the rainbow. And, yes. what, and what the rainbow has come to symbolize and visualize. Um, and um, That's exactly uh, true. It, it's, it's, the same, it's exactly the same scenario, just for a different cause. And you do the same with words. I mean, gay. It used to be homosexual. Now it's gay, a much more positive expression. And um, they, that was a strategic move. That wasn't accidental. That just didn't randomly happen. That was a strategic move, and that's what I'm talking about, that as Christians, we need to think, how do we impact the language, how do we impact visuals, how do we use things to speak to the culture in a language and style that the culture today really does understand. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, Phil, thank you so much. Um, there's so much more that I could talk to you about, about branding and and faith, and, and if uh, you're listening and you want to find out more about Phil's books and uh, unique you can just go to the show notes uh it's all there i'll have a link to also phil's blog uh where he blogs um very very frequently you can subscribe to his blog there and uh, phil thank you very much for your time today thank you man i enjoy talking with you these are great subjects great topics and and i'm thrilled to be on anytime thanks steve thanks phil You may have a question that you want answered and you can ask your question on my blog in the show notes and we may even spend an episode answering your questions. Don't forget you could also tweet me at Steve Fogg on Twitter and as I said there's some great links to Phil's blog uh, in my show notes on my blog and you know we always love to hear your reviews and if you could leave a review on iTunes uh, it really helps us spread the word and help others in what they are doing thanks for listening hope to see you next time